Hey everybody, this is Skip Cohen, and you are right where you need to be, hanging out on the Angry Millennial Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers. All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at clickgearclothingltd. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show. Today, we have director, writer, and camera operator, Spencer Gillis. Spencer, thanks for coming out, man. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Good, No, of course, of course. Um, I know you were saying that recently you've actually been um, interviewed for another podcast uh, with a guy out of Seattle. So how, how was that? Oh, it was, it was fantastic. It was called Radio Film School. Uh, Ron Dawson's mm-hmm. the host. And um, it was really nice. So we, it was his longest interview ever. So, uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so I'm not nice. sure. I, I don't know if that's a good thing, but, uh, but it was great. It was great. We talked a lot about fatherhood and, um, and about my film Sweep that, that I just most recent film that I did. So it was really fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Have, you, have you done a lot of... Uh, podcast type interviews or more traditional type stuff no actually i think that was my first podcast i've done a lot of interviews via email um when i did my first short film gun we did quite a bit of press and i did some television interviews for that which was really nerve-wracking um and then a lot of sort of just over the phone interviews where they they jotted down notes and and wrote an article kind of a thing so right 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 yeah this is definitely much different (laughs) <laughs> and it's I like fun, it honestly yeah I think it's, it's fun, fun. It's, it's way less pressure but more than anything you have more time to dive into things you know it's right. a little more expansive you can get into a lot of areas that you know when you do a television interview you get like three and a half minutes or something like that it's, yeah. it's nothing yeah. you know it's like just enough time yeah. to say the synopsis of the film and what your inspiration was and that's it you know <laughs> yeah and play play a little clip and then you're like all right and get the fuck out you know? <laughs> exactly so, yeah. I, to- I totally hear you and it's I've, I used to do a lot of those um, like blog style interviews and article style interviews, but man, they were like, I realized too, it's really taxing to ask mm-hmm. people, Hey, can you write, you know, answer some questions. And then I sit there and go, what's worse or what's harder. Or I should say this, what's a bigger ask. Is it um, working on you typing out a thorough interview that doesn't suck and maybe, you know, re looking over and editing it and looking it over again or just saying, hey, give me 40 to 60 minutes of your day and we'll just chat. You know what I mean? So I quickly yeah. realized that it was a lot easier um, when I switched from like article style interviews to 
more uh, of the, you know, spoken kind of uh, podcast stuff. And it, it was, it was much easier. You know, everyone was like, oh yeah, sure. I'll do that. And <laughs> a lot of them ended up being shelved that were article interviews. And I said, hey, fuck it. Let's just do the podcast instead. So yeah. uh, Spencer, let's, let's kind of dive in. Tell us how it all started for you. You know, were you always creative? Um, did, did video come first for you growing up or anything like that? Um, always creative. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess now that I'm a father and watching my kids, I feel like ch- children are, are very creative. It's like, mm-hmm. as you, as you grow up and, and responsibilities come into play, I feel like maybe you, you, you either embrace it or shut it down based on what kind of opportunities are at hand. But I grew up in a really small town, um, in Kansas and there's honestly, there's not a lot to do there. So I think my first creative muscles started to be flexed just from like trying to just weed through the boredom and like figure out a fun way to spend my time, you know? So my friends mm-hmm. and I would just goof around and we'd, and we'd come up with all sorts of way to ha- ways to have fun. And there is a creativity in that. Um, and you, right. and you, you appreciate a lot of smaller nuances, um, to life, which, which I'm really happy that I had that kind of upbringing for that reason. But my first real creative foray was uh, in the video game business. Actually, my oh, good friend and I, cool. we were yeah. Well, it's not a professional thing, but when we were like, <laughs> when we were like, I don't know. I think we were, must have been eight or nine years old. My friend Charlie and I, we um, we designed and came up with this entire story and everything of this whole video game called Beach Bums. <laughs> Uh, you know, we had bosses at the end of levels. We used that. You remember that old program, Print Shop? We would like print out like you know stills mm, or like screen no. grabs of it. Oh, oh man, wow! It was okay. Fun. And his nice. dad, his dad was a lawyer, and he actually we went down to our local video store and like hand wrote all the names and addresses of the video game makers because you know <laughs> there was no internet, you couldn't look that stuff up back then. So right, and he he wrote a letter to these to these companies for us, like an official yeah. you know letter with his like you know his letterhead uh, and all his, that kind of stuff with his letterhead and and yeah. like pitched the idea to them and they basically all said you know we don't take unsolicited material but actually nintendo i think it was they actually sent like a really nice response you know just sort of saying like we really admire your creativity and effort yada 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 right. it was cool it was cool i mean as kids yeah. we were like blown away that they even answered so Oh, of um, course, but, I mean, even, like you said, even a, even a nice no is still a nice is still nice. You know what I mean? Like it's oh yeah, like you said, they don't have to take the time out to send that kind of stuff, and it's pretty neat that they were open to hearing from young creative minds of tomorrow. You know? Oh, totally. And I mean, you know, as a kid in Kansas, I mean, Nintendo, or I mean, really any of that sort of entertainment based stuff, it, it's it right. seemed like miles and miles away. Like it was there was no way we would ever hear from them. So that was that was pretty special, but. Um, but then, you know, when I was in, I guess, late middle school, early high school, a couple of buddies of mine had video cameras or their parents had, and we started experimenting mm-hmm. and playing around, but it really wasn't until much later that I got into the filmmaking thing. Cause it never really seemed like it was a viable career path, but that's cause mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it really. You know? Right. Right. No, you so. said it. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it, 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 and that's a good segue cause you know, I know you've credited uh, your mentor, Rick Altman, um, with you choosing to pursue even your master's in film study. And, you know, I want to get into that. But, but I think, like you said, it's it's interesting how I was the same way. Growing up, everyone in my family liked the creative arts, you know, like uh, 
my sister and brother both did photography, um, nothing professionally, but they they dabbled in it, had prints around the house, and I always found that stuff very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but same thing, I never gave it much of a thought beyond that, you know. And then it wasn't until same for you, it wasn't until like college, grad school that I really got into it, and and suddenly I, I saw it as a, a bit more viable than ever before. But like you said, you're not into it. You never know anything, and you'll never really kind of uh, give it a second thought. Yeah. Um, so tell me how how important do you have mentors been, you know, in your career uh, mm-hmm. with Rick? You know, uh, like you said, you know, coming kind of kind of grooming you a bit in undergrad, and then having you pursue uh, your master's in film studies. But t- tell us a bit about how how Rick's been kind of uh, in your career. Wow, you really did your research, man. Digging up Rick Allman. That's pretty sweet. I mean, that's been, I mean, I know it's only been 10 years ago, but it feels in some ways a lifetime ago. Um, right. Rick, Rick was amazing. He, I, like you said, I had him in undergrad and at a university of Iowa. That's where I went to film school. And, um, the thing that I think besides the fact that he has this amazing personality and he's very passionate about film, um, mm-hmm is that he just he 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 basically taught us this lesson that honestly I've carried into life in a lot of other areas and it doesn't just apply to study but he he essentially said you know these all these experts that you read these books that you buy and you read you know whoever it is you're reading and and they're claiming certain things to be true based on their expertise and their research he says, when you really go in and you dig, you find out that their research is either really lazy or they didn't, they just took the points that bolstered their own argument and they sort of right. omitted the facts of the rest. So it was just one of those, mo- one of those big watershed moments, like intellectually in your life, when you realize like you always have to read between the lines, you always have mm-hmm. to know what the motive of the person who's telling you something is. Um, and now, mm-hmm. like especially reading news or any sort of media outlet at all, I have such a different slant on how I read it um, because of Rick, really. Um, mm-hmm. And he just challenged us to like dive into the to the to the fir- you know the primary research stuff and and just go in there and, and and become our own expert. And I just thought that that was amazing and just really empowering as a student. So Rick was great. Um, but I mean, I think I think it's always important to have a mentor of some kind in in the, your career. In the film industry, a lot to, a lot of times the mentors you have they're not exactly it's not a formal mentorship, right? Yeah. Um, in the way that Rick was, it's it's more just that you find yourself observing people that you really like and you think that they do great work. Um, Mm -hmm. like for me, for instance, I worked on this movie shame that was directed by Steve McQueen when I was a camera assistant. And the great thing about being a camera assistant is you're really right there with the action. You watch the director work, you listen to him talk to the actors. I mean, you get to see it all, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and Steve didn't know it, but he became a huge mentor for me from a directing perspective. Just watching him work was an incredible experience. And right. uh, and I still, to this day, carry forward a lot of things that I learned from him. And and from his relationship with his DP, Sean Bobbitt, who is also something that my my DP that on our films that we work together, Ludovic and I, um, we, we did that movie together. So we kind mm-hmm. of learned that relationship while working on that movie together. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah that's cool. 
Yeah, it was cool. So no, I think mentors are really important. And and you try to yeah. do that too when you graduate to a, to a new level. And now that I'm an operator, you know, I'm always talking to the younger guys that are working in the camera department and sort of trying to find out like what's your what's your goals, you know, and mm-hmm. and seeing if I can connect them with people that can help them, you know. That's great. That's great. That's great. I mean, like you said, it's it definitely you definitely get to a level where you're like, okay, I got I got to pay it forward, you know. And yeah. and I think you brought up a great point about how not everyone is like a mentor in the sense of, you know, uh, it, it's it's very structured and, and it's very like handholding kind of thing. You know, I recently wrote an article on this very topic um, for like borrow lenses. And it was, you know, one of the things I, I started talking about was the simple fact that literally it took me a while to get this article out because I was just, mm-hmm. I was just in a slump and I was hitting credit writer block and, and I, I was just, I couldn't do it. And then I, I was talking to someone who, you know, I was a bit of a mentor for me and, and just was kind of like, look, man, just take your head out of your ass and just start writing. You know what I mean? Like it's going to come to you. And, and I knew all that, you know I mean? I knew all that stuff yeah. as a writer, but what was interesting is that when I started writing, I actually brought up a guy who was my team leader, uh, during like my first job out of college, uh, as a door to door, like paper salesman. And, <laughs> and, and I'm sitting here being like, this job sucked. It was, you know, all hundred percent commission. I remember it was like one of those things where everyone walks around ill fitting suits, you know, and you're just sweating all day and you're trying to hawk, you know, uh, office supplies. And it was so funny because I only had that job for like four or five days I, and I really couldn't, <laughs> couldn't do it. You know, I realized it was just pointless. And, um, but I sit here and think to myself, that was, again, like probably about, about 10 years ago. And I sit here and go, wow, like, I, like it wasn't until I wrote that down that I sit there and go, I'm still thinking about a guy who I knew for four days, 10 years ago. And, mm-hmm. and how great of a team leader he was and how, you know, he was, a, he was an ex-Marine and, you know, he, was, um, he, he kind of took me under his wing and all this kind of stuff. And I, I really valued that. And I, I kind of go on the opposite end of the spectrum where my first, the first guy who hired me for my first photo job was a, a South African sculptor, this guy, Richard Milner. And then he, he transitioned to being a photographer and worked for the studio in the UK and then came over to the States to help uh, get the the state U.S. run studios up to par, and he was the you know guy who interviewed me, who hired me, and ten years later we're still good friends, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 he's still a good friend of mine, and he's still to this day like you get anyone in the studio, I've never seen a guy literally have such high energy, no matter how difficult the client was, and still have creativity that every single time he walked in that studio he killed it, you yeah. know. And yeah. and you can imagine when you do something for a job, it gets monotonous, and and you of just course. kind of rest on your laurels and say, okay, here's this setup, here's this setup, okay, yeah. ah, we're having fun, and then you know it, it's hard to keep maintaining that high level of intensity and, and energy. But he he did it, man. It was great. And like you said, it, another good point is that um, when you're in the creative arts, man, it's it's fucking hard. You yeah. know, you don't you don't have the the structured mentorship that was even in that paper salesman job I had, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's learn your craft, get better at it. And then that's it. Then Mm -hmm. beyond that, it's network and meet the right people and have a bit of luck and, and just you're, you're, you'll be fine. You know, for a lot of us, it's like, it's a lot more than that, you know? Um, 
And that's where a lot of times, like you said, the people that, you know, Steve McQueen, he, he never would sit there and go, oh, he's a mentor. It's like, no, but you learned on the job from that guy. Right. right. And you put that stuff right into the, into yeah. play with your own work. And that's awesome. So yeah. tell me, speaking of that, and we're going to get into, um, you know, gun and sweeping a little bit. But one thing I want to get into is a little bit more of your, your stuff on the other side, you know, on the operator mm-hmm. side. Um, mm-hmm. So many people like we talked about credit the jumpstart of their career with like either a wild, wildly popular show or a feature film that gets mm-hmm. everyone's attention. Right. So right. with that said, what has Orange is a New Black been like to work on for you? It, it's really been a, an incredible opportunity for me to work on that show. Um, I started out day playing as a camera operator on season two because my good friend Ludovic, mm-hmm. uh, who's my who's shot both of my shorts, he was the A camera operator at that time. Um, he's since become the director of photography of the show. And then oh, on wow, season that's three, awesome. yeah, yeah, he's he transitioned really fast, and but he's extremely talented. I mean, that's why and. There was an opportunity for him to start shooting the show, and he was already shooting on the scout days when the DP is gone to scout. Um, so, you know, he had the rapport with everyone, the actors, and the all the way up to the executive producers, and they just they knew he could do it, and so they gave him the chance, and he totally nailed it. And then they gave him, you know, season four after after that. So, um, I and then I started full time about halfway through season three. I, I was on B camera. All, I did all of season four on B camera, and this year I'm on A camera for the first time, um, which we just started two weeks ago. So it's been, oh, wow, <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been great, man. It's it's very busy. I mean, A is a is a very different thing. Um, you're much right. more of considered a leader on set, and and you know not only you're operating, but just and making shots happen and and getting everyone on board. Um, I mean, not to say you're doing it all yourself. I mean, you have a lot of mm-hmm. people that are that are making it happen, but you're sort of people look to you as a as a position of of being a leader. So um, it's been good, though. I mean, I know that I'm going to learn in another. This season's going to be another incredible amount of stuff that I'm going to come away with, um, mm-hmm. especially on the directing side, because you're not directing, but there's a lot of skills you're learning that you can utilize as a director. One of which is that you have so many voices just coming at you all at one time, so many people wanting to ask you questions. Because as the A operator, it's you're the one who knows what's going to be in the frame and what's not. And so mm-hmm. everything like the key grip, the gaffer, anyone who's sort of wondering about, oh, we're hanging this thing up here, is that going to be a problem for you? So you have a lot of people coming to you and just asking you questions pretty much most of yeah. the day. So it's a right. similar kind of feeling for when you're directing and you just have to make decision after decision all the time. Um, but um, yeah, Orange has been great. I mean, it's it's a TV show and you know TV shows are known for being a very fast-paced production environment. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's not unheard of that we'll do a day where we shoot, you know, nine and a half, 10 pages in a single day. Um, so we're talking like an incredible amount of setups because in television you tend to do more coverage than you would in like a feature film environment. Um, so you just learn how to move very quickly but also do really high caliber work at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, so and, and a lot of the stuff I actually, now that I'm looking back on my career, a lot of the things I've worked on 
are have been more speed oriented i would say because i did a lot of independent mm-hmm. films as a camera assistant where speed was a big part of that kind of work um right and i'm so happy that i did because i just I, there's such a value in that because filmmaking is all about managing the time that you have to get what you can get mm-hmm. um yeah so it's yeah, it's it's been great, and the, and everybody loves being there. It's a fun show to work on. There's a ton of talented people there, um, and it's just it's a great job. I mean, it's a fun job to go to every day, which not a lot mm-hmm. of people can say. So, um, yeah, it's been a great experience. And it, from an operating standpoint, it's it's totally been career shaping for me, because when you're doing six and a half months, five days a week, twelve hours or more per day for that long, mm-hmm. you just get really sharp and you learn yeah. so much in such a condensed amount of time that, you know, if I was day playing or something, it would probably take me years to learn what I learned in six and a half months. Yeah. Um, and then from a directing standpoint, you have uh, 13 episodes and, and there's a different director for each episode. There's a couple directors that get two episodes, but, you know, you end up working with nine different directors in the course of a season. So, also learning from from them from a directing mm-hmm. standpoint, um, just watching the way that different people work and knowing right. what you know you just it's it's all part of like building your toolbox. You watch people work and you say, oh, that seems like something I would like to use as a director. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that little thing and mm-hmm. and you just kind of build those things up. And so it's great, yeah. man. I, I love the show. I love working there. And, uh, and I, I just, I couldn't be happier to be part of that. And I, and I feel extremely grateful that I'm there every day because I know how lucky I am. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's and you great. said it, I mean, I think, I mean, I think the, the biggest the, thing like you mentioned was the fact that you get a different director for each one because you know, what that does, like you said, is your job is the same is, is that's like the one constant, but then right. when you switch in different directors, then, like you said, you're 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 learning how to work with different personalities and different um, you know traits and and okay, this guy likes it this way, this guy likes things this way, but you know, in reality, it's just you learning how to be more malleable or let's just say um, more productive working with all sorts of different types of people. Um, which, like you said, I mean, people don't realize that you're battling as the clock for fucking everything light time day people's rates payment you know what i mean like like mm-hmm. so many aspects are built into did we get the shot we only have x amount of hours let's get it and if you didn't you're fucked you know like yeah. th- there isn't much in in terms of like excuses and and reshoots and pushing stuff and and, and all that so it's it's really interesting to um to hear you know how how that's kind of shaped you and, and what you've been able to do and it sounds great and especially for your partner um uh i think ludovic right I'm, I'm, yeah I'm badgering that probably okay cool no no that's um, it ludovic yeah ludovic latte yeah ludovic and i mean what he was able to do and that's amazing and and that's another big thing is like we all know it's it's so much about just collaboration in the purest form you know um right. not necessarily you know networking but to me it's just like hey look i got a guy that pretty much we do the same job we could essentially be enemies right but then we realize like hey we both like each other we both like each other's style and our work together we can do a whole lot more right you now than than uh as as you know adversaries so i mean it's pretty it's pretty interesting for me that that's been a huge thing obviously as a photographer similar type stuff you get to certain levels where you have teams of people 
differing personalities, right. differing uh, creative direction, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you have to you have to kind of again be a director and just kind of steer everyone on what your vision is. And if it's not, it's not. It's not the end of the world. Right. You know, if people don't agree with it, then that's fine. You know, but but you but, touch uh, on something that to me is is, and I think this is both part of the creative endeavor for me it, and and partly just a personality trait that I have but I'm mm-hmm. I'm totally like you said collaboration and I'm you know there's some people especially people that want to direct that don't see collaboration as an important part of the process necessarily mm-hmm. but for me I see collaboration as the most important part of the process and honestly mm-hmm. especially for filmmaking and you know this is coming from someone who went to film school and read all about the auteur theory and about you know and, and listen there's many filmmakers I love and I think their work is consistently great but I think they also tend to work with a lot of the same people and that's why their work is consistently mm-hmm. great so um, so I come away from that just feeling like that whole auteur thing is, is total BS in my mind because I know what it takes to make a film and it, and it doesn't happen by, from one person alone. It just doesn't not, not something that's like a masterpiece, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I can't overstate how important to me collaboration is. Um, and, and really with, with everyone, the actors, um, my DP, my producers even, because they come up with a lot of great creative solutions as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really every other department. I mean, on my last film sweep, I got, it was my first time working with a costumer. That was a really interesting experience that I'd never had before. And I realized like the more you work with more people, the more you realize that everyone is doing it because they love it. And if you hire the right person, they're a real craftsperson and they really care about doing something mm-hmm. amazing and not stupid and stereotypical, but interesting. And so you, I mean, if you hire the right people, you can really lean on them to do stuff that you could never in your own, you know, lack of expertise do. So that's why I just think collaboration is such a huge, a huge part of it. Yeah, no, you, you said it. I mean, it's, it's a lot of that. It's a, to me, it's a lot of, you know, uh, realizing that just the way a movie's made is, is that you have everyone doing their very niche, like specific job. And if they're good, they're going to kill it. And that's not only one thing you have to not worry about in a sense, but right. it's also, like you said, the one thing that can bring a lot to the table that makes you rethink an entire direction, you know, off of that one little kind of thing that really, is seems really granular, but it's not in the grand scheme right. of things. Um, right. So tell me, you know, what was it? What was it like? Speaking of of directing, what was it like having your directorial debut done, become an official selection at the prestigious Sundance Film Festival? Man, that was just—it <laughs> was crazy. It was—it was literally, it was a dream come true. I mean. I got the call on the morning of Thanksgiving. That's, that's when they always call the people that get selected, at least for shorts. I can't speak to the other, um, categories, but yeah, I was at my sister's and my whole family was there. And to be totally honest with you, it was such a long shot in my mind. I didn't even think about the fact that there was a call coming from somebody from California and I was like, who is this number? And I didn't even answer the phone. You know, I like let it go to voicemail because I was hanging out with my family. And then 
I was like, I just, I just picked it up while we were sitting there. I think we were all playing cards, eating pie or something. And right. I picked it up and I was like, oh my God, that's somebody from Sundance. I didn't say anything. I just left the room and like went and, and called them back. Cause it, she just said, just give me a call back when you get a second. I right. had a feeling that it meant I was in, but it also could have meant like, we really loved your film, but, but I don't but think they really do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't, I don't think they right. really call for that kind of thing unless maybe it's somebody with a relationship with the festival. But yeah, so I called her and and Emily Doe, I'll never forget her. She's she's so sweet and she was so nice and complimentary about the film. And she just said, you know, we think you tackled a really complex and difficult subject that's, you mm-hmm. know, obviously really um, topical right now. And uh, we just of think course. you did it yeah. a, a subtle but yet like poignant way. And we would love to invite you to the festival. And I, I like literally just like my mouth was just like dropped wide open. <laughs> I literally didn't even know what to say for like 10 seconds. I was just like gushing and be like, Oh my God, thank you so much. Like you don't know how much this means yeah. to me and my family. So it was yeah. special, man. It was super special. And the experience of the festival was cool. You know, it was, um, it was neat. I mean, I, I worked on some films that had, had been at Sundance um, Blue Valentine, you know, I worked on that and, and a bunch of other ones that went to Sundance in some shape or form, but Blue Valentine was like kind of a bigger hit, I guess, if you want to say mm-hmm. for, on the indie circuit, but it's, it, there was nothing like going as a director and having people stop you on the street because that you have the director credential on and ask you about your movie. And I mean, That's listen, cool. The festival's still very geared towards features. It's not like you're a celebrity or something, but it's still <laughs> cool because there's you know it's it's students and stuff, people that are right. aspiring to do what you just did. Right. And honestly, I I still feel like a student, you know. I mean, in many mm-hmm. ways because I feel like I'm always learning and I always am humbled by something mm-hmm. about how little I really know about storytelling. Just going out and writing a feature that humbles you plenty, you know. Because you realize oh, yeah. how complex yeah. it is and how difficult it is to tie it all together and make it all work. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it was it was cool, you know. And and my favorite part of the festival, honestly, was just meeting all the other filmmakers. We, you know, we all partied together and just like you were talking about the the whole thing with like sometimes when you hang out with people that maybe you would consider to be you know rivals. It was so not like that, you know. We went to the director's brunch and. All the directors, they had no reason to be rivals with each other because it was like right. we all were there. We all did something that we were super proud of, and and everybody just talked, and it was mm-hmm. it was just such an inspirational and creative free flow of ideas. It was really cool. Um, so that was that was something that I will definitely never forget. And honestly, I feel really spoiled because you know <laughs> my second film did not get into Sundance which was somewhat of a disappointment, but not really because you know that the odds are insane to get yeah, in there. Yeah, Even if you're yeah. an alumni, it's not yeah. like you're a shoe-in. So, um, so yeah, I, I definitely will always look on that very, very fondly. No, and like you said, it's it's uh, it, for, the fir- for the first one, I mean, that's the crazy thing. It's like, you know, you sit there and say, okay, it's, it's the odds are stacked against you. You didn't even pay a, never, a second thought. And then on your first film, you you got to have that experience, and you know, like we touched on before with collaboration. I mean, that to me, I, I've I've done similar things with like with like still work, mm-hmm. and and it's the same thing when you're hanging out in a room with a bunch of other people who you know have the creative and and the technical chops that you can sit there and all just shoot the shit about everything you love about art, 
and yeah. and it, it 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 can be so like you said invigorating aspiring just it just lights a fire under your ass really you know yeah. to say like oh my god like i met this guy and he's doing this awesome shit and then this other guy's doing this thing and have you seen this guy's film and he's totally cool and even if there's a dick in the crowd you can just be like that guy's a dick but but his work's pretty neat you know like and, and it's just like all the little dynamics that can go into that i think it's right. so interesting and you know so let me let me ask you that was it worth the wait you know like your, your first directorial debut you know and and getting obviously into sundance and you could sit there and say yeah it was it, that was pretty worth it you know um and my next question is like do you think that the digital kind of DSLR technology even kind of made it possible. And tell me, like, how did you shoot it? You know, did, did you shoot it digital? Did you shoot film? Um, you know, and uh, and then I want to talk more about your latest film, Sweet. Well, I mean, in terms of the weight, in my mind, it, I didn't feel like there was any weight because I just, I, I literally, I feel like I just, it was complete. I mean, listen, I'm very proud of that film and I think we made a really interesting film. But it still comes down to somewhat of a luck of the draw at the odds that you're dealing with. Because they take like, I don't know, it's something like 8,000 short film submissions, right? And then they end up taking like, I think our year it was 64 films. So the odds are just so long that you're going to get in um, that uh, it was just, you know, it was crazy that we got in. And so I feel like there was no wait because it was my first time I ever made a film professionally. Um, but you know, the thing, the thing of it all that I, that I, and I still hang on to it a little bit, um, not necessarily just in a nostalgic way, but more in a sense of validation. Cause let's face it, man, when you're doing your own creative work, there's not all that many moments of validation for you. You know, you spend a lot of time and effort, you know, a lot of lonely time and effort <laughs> stuck in a room, sitting at a computer, writing and coming up with things that you think are interesting. And then you try to put them out in the world and they don't always work, you know, especially from a writing perspective. And so when you have those little moments, I mean, that's what keeps your fire going. And you keep thinking like, okay, I can do this. I know that it's possible and I know that it's worth it, you know, and that's, right. that's the kind of validation and, and not just Sundance, but I mean, obviously that's a huge one, but any, literally any film festival that I go to, I always feel that way. It just feels so great to know that there's a place for my film, that people are, you know, th that it somehow resonates with them and they find something of quality about it, that they chose it over something else, you know? So, and that's huge, you know? So that's, yeah. for me, that's the biggest part of the festival circuit is that, and hopefully you get some exposure too, but it's more just validation and knowing you're on the right track and that what you're mm -hmm. interested in, there are other people that are interested in that too. Yeah. Um, in terms of the DSLR thing and digital versus film, I mean, definitely didn't shoot film. As much as I have a love for film, that, you know, it, at this stage in the game, it's really not practical for an independent filmmaker in my view um, financially. Um, but... We shot, let's see, we shot the red one for gun. We shot okay. red one. We got, we, got, we got a nice little camera package, though. We got some great lenses. We shot on, we shot on the Cook S4s. So we shot with real you know, high-end professional cinema lenses like you'd use on a, on a film or, or a TV show. Um, 
And then on Sweet, my latest one, we got an Alexa that was Panavised and we shot on Panavision vintage lenses. So this is what, Ooh. you know, coming from a camera background, these are the benefits, right? Is that you have a lot of connections and Panavision New York was extremely uh, gracious about offering us an, ex- an amazing deal on a package because they had a relationship with Ludovic and that was basically it. I mean, they, they knew That's he awesome. was, this was right before when we shot Sweep, it was just before he started DPing on Orange is the New Black. And I think they foresaw that he was moving up quickly and they, and they knew that it was investing in his career would be a smart move, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so they, they helped him out and, and then, you know, and now Orange is the New Black uses Panavision for all their equipment. So, wow, you know, it, karmically, yeah. karmically, it worked out really well for everybody, I think. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, the DSLR thing, listen, I, I think it's amazing what's, what's happened, you know, and I've shot in all the different formats. I've done the 5Ds and the 70s and the C300s and the C100s and all that kind of stuff. And um, particularly for documentary, I think it's, it's been an amazing transition because of the, the, size of the cameras and how there's definitely been a shift in terms of what's been possible, I think, compared to, um, you know, maybe even 15 or maybe even 10 years ago based on how small and inconspicuous your, your package can be. Right. Um, And like you said, it, what, what it was able to do, you know, and, and, you know, you, you brought up a thing, a point that's really great. And again, collaboration, like you, you knew a guy who knew some people and, and because of, you know, what your, his, his network and his, his kind of career path was going, then suddenly it made it possible to get a very, like you said, very sophisticated, um, you know, a, a amazing set of equipment to shoot this with that otherwise would have been out in your reach, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and like you said, then it ended up being pretty, pretty, uh, uh, apropos that all of a sudden now orange is new black is on Panavision. That's pretty cool. Um, so tell us, you know, about sweep. Cause I know you, you got into it a little bit, um, before, but, but kind of tell me about that's your latest film. Um, tell me a little bit about if, if you're, if from going from gun to sweep, if there were things that you tweaked, you know, uh, being, being your second go around or if it was mm-hmm. you know easier or harder or kind of, and, and what the film's all about. Well, being my second film and a follow-up to Gun, which, like I said, was you know it was success beyond my wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. So I put a ton of pressure on myself in terms of what I was hoping to achieve with the film. But at the same time, I wanted to take a risk because I knew going the safe road would be a bad decision. My just in my gut, I just knew that that was probably a bad decision. That mm-hmm. you would probably be rewarded for doing something bolder. And, um, so I, what I wanted to, what I set out to do was I was interested in trying to tell a story that was essentially took place over real, over real time. So sweep Mm -hmm. basically is about, it's a, it's about a 12 minute long in terms of the picture length. It's about 11 minutes and 45 seconds. I think it's exactly what it is. Um, there's one edit where there's like maybe a couple of minutes of omitted time, but essentially, it feels like a real-time scene that all takes place in, in real time. So that was my challenge to myself, is I wanted it to feel like something that 
began and ended all in the time that it took on screen to elapse. Mm. Um, and I was inspired to do that because I remember seeing, I mean, many films where there's longer scenes than usual that I wasn't, was just really impressed by how many beats there were and how wonderfully crafted it was to make it feel as though it wasn't one scene, but it was lots of different scenes within one scene. Um, I think I'm thinking of a scene in uh, Inglorious Bastards in the basement oh, uh, that of that yeah. sort of the the I don't know what I, I'm calling it a pub, but that's not the right word probably. But it was like a basement <laughs> bar scene, and yeah. Michael Fassbender's in that, and and it's just such a long and there's tense scene, and there's so many moments that, but somehow it's a long scene. It's probably 16 minutes or something, but somehow it ends up just feeling like. You, there's never a moment when you're bored with it, you know? Right. Uh, and I just yeah. thought, if I'm going to make a feature film someday, I need to learn how to do that. And so that was why I did it, because I want to make a feature someday. I want to be able mm-hmm. to craft a really powerful scene. And so that's kind of what Sweep started as. Um, and then f- from the inspiration standpoint, I wanted to tell a story about fatherhood. Um, because as a, as a, as a guy who's at that time had mo- more recently been a dad, now I have two children – I just noticed that and as an adult, there's not a lot of things that men can like instantly bond over and kind of drop mm-hmm. all their barriers, but having kids is one of them. Yeah. Um, and I just I found that to be a really interesting experience, uh, and I wanted to share that somehow. So that was kind of the initial inspiration, and then once I started working on the film and the scenario – it kind of became clear to me that I was writing a film about race and about racism, and it was a bigger bigger message I think that was more important to try to tackle and it scared the hell out of me and that's why I decided I should do it because I knew it was a risky move as a white man to make a film about race it was a little scary but Mm -hmm. but I I feel really happy that I did it because I sort of tackled a fear I think because I'm I'm really interested in those issues and um, I'm sure like anyone I feel very affected by what's happening in our world right now, mm-hmm. um, particularly in regards to that issue. Right. Um, but it's something I'm also not all that comfortable talking about because it's a really difficult issue. Yeah, um, it is. Like you said, it, it is tough for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So I just felt like maybe if I can express it in a film, that's the way to go. So, um, I mean, in the scenario of the film, is very simple. It's about this white man who is going on sort of an average suburban trip to the recycling center to dump some leaves and some branches. And he runs into these, these two black immigrants and they end up sharing a joint and talking about being fathers and they kind of create a, a friendship or a bond over that. Um, but it unfortunately ends in a betrayal that's it's pretty unforgivable. Um, and that's, that's kind of where the film, you know, where it came from, where the inspiration came from. That's awesome. Um, and then what That's was the awesome. second part of the, the question? Oh, the um, difference between this and gun, I guess. Right. I kind of already answer, right. answered that, I think, yeah, in I think terms of what yeah. I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. I think, and then yeah. that's really great because it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's really methodical. And I think what's interesting is like, I, we, I talk a lot about this with like personal work, you know, like personal projects and that kind of stuff in that, that's what kind of what they allow you to do. And and not to say that these were, but if you really kind of think about it, in a, in a sense, they are. Because you literally are saying, I want to tackle this one thing. And if I can fund it and pay and get it made, I'll do it. Um, 
but it, it is very much a labor of love. And you sit there and say, well, these couple things that are very uh, commercially successful and well-received are just building blocks to your eventual feature length film. Right. Mm-hmm. And you sit there and said, you made it, it was really neat. You said, and I, I respect the shit out of it because I did the same thing with my photo work uh, or I had over the years is that if I wanted to tackle something, I made it something that made me uncomfortable. And, and I sit there and say, okay, I'm going to work through this because I'm going to know, I know that eventually I'm going to really need to know this and I'm going to want to work on it and I'm going to want to do it in a sense that it's going to really push me out of my comfort zone. And you said it. I mean, you made an entire short film in reality just so you could eventually, with your own feature, make a really long seam not seem so long. And, yeah. But that's genius because, like you said, the people who can do it, oh, man, it's 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 masterful, you know? It's, and It truly is, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and it's like you're sitting there going, all right, I got to work on this shit because if I want it to happen <laughs> – I'm going to have to figure it out eventually, you know? Oh, yeah. And then the idea of anybody, like, directing a a feature as a first-time filmmaker, like, legitimately, like, they've never directed a short before. Now, you know, when I first did my first short, I was like, oh, I think I could do a feature. Dude, no way. Like, (laughs) you have so much you can learn from trying things in shorts that some things that work and some things that only work. I'm starting to get to a place now where I'm learning what only works in a short film and what mm-hmm. what doesn't work in a feature. That's mm-hmm. where I'm starting to get now in my writing is I'm finding things that a lot of that has to do with the third act in a feature. Like if you're writing something on that really three act structure, I find that a lot of the notes that I get have to do with problems in my third act or there's just not enough of a third act. And I think a lot of that comes from the short form doesn't follow that same structure and you don't really have right. to you don't have to deliver that third act in the same way. So, you know, now I'm realizing that's a, that's a weakness that I'm I'm trying to work on. So, mm-hmm. you learn a lot, man. It's it's an incredible experience, and you just get a lot more comfortable, you know, doing it. Um, right. I mean, I'm always comfortable on set because I've just been on set for you know I've been doing it for ten years now, and 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 now that I'm a camera operator, I mean, you're a very vocal person. You're very you're very in touch with the director and the actors and the DP. And, um, you know, it's really not that far off from directing in a lot of ways in terms Mm -hmm. of the way you interact with everyone. So, um, so I, I, you know, that's one of the reasons I love the job because it's like, if I completely fall flat on my face as a director, (laughs) at least I can still be a camera operator and it's a pretty sweet job and it's a, it's a fun gig and it's, it's creative to some degree, you know, um, and it's collaborative. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And and you said it. I mean, it's it's, you know, to me as a creative, when you balance your own stuff with like, let's just say, you know, gigs, right? Like jobs, uh, if you can manage to at least make it that any job you're taking is literally directly or indirectly feeding into your own personal stuff you want to do. Oh my god, it's fucking it's you're you're literally burning both candles on both ends. You know, you're getting the sweetheart deal. Because you can sit there and say, well, I'm working on my craft and doing this and, and my career is going in this direction. But, you know, it's either going to be a platform for me to do my other stuff I want to do or it can just keep being the thing that I'm just really fucking good at, you know. And right. and and it, it, but again, it's none of it is is wasteful, you know, like all right. of it has a very 
you know, uh, re, it's like you're reinvesting in yourself every single time we take one of those jobs because it's amazing what it does. So speaking of that, I want to change gears a bit. Um, yeah. Kind of touching, touching upon your work, collaboration, and all that kind of stuff. You're a co-founder of 235. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a Brooklyn-based production house with an amazingly talented partner list. You know, with with names and uh, on the on your IMDb credit pages like House of Cards, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, amazing by the way, uh, A Place Beyond the Pines, another great one. I mean, so tell us about kind of the vision you got you guys have for two three five, um, and and how it all kind of came together. Well. <laughs> two three five is it's it's so near and dear to my heart. It's such a a wonderful group of people. Nicole Cosgrove and Ludovic Latay are the two partners that started it with me, um, and we also have a really tight knit network of other collaborators that we work with a lot, um, and and we consider them really a part of our two three five family. Pretty much every time we put together a short, we call all the same people because <laughs> they're all they all have great personalities, and you know this has come from like years of working in the industry. We kind of found various people that we got along with really well, who were interested in creative work um, and had a passion for it. And they weren't just kind of like doing it just to do it. Um, Because you'd be surprised. There's a lot more people like that in the film industry than you'd think. People that it's just a job. They kind of, they don't have any aspirations to do, you know, directing work of their own or anything like that, which is totally fine. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. that we found those select people that were like, yeah, I'll work on a short on my off time for zero dollars because I just <laughs> love making films with people that are fun and want to collaborate. So, yeah. um, I mean, essentially the goal of our company is to tell stories that make us think and discover and to connect with other people. Um, That's great. And we want to challenge our audience, though. It's not just purely about entertainment. It's in all of our films, I think, especially the core partner films, they all have that element of challenging the audience, but in a way that that's not just it's not just difficult to be difficult. It's it's challenging them to create meaning themselves for the film. Uh, mm-hmm. We're like it, it's essentially we're enlisting the audience as a collaborator in the work. Mm, that's cool. So by by creating nuanced work that has some room for interpretation you're basically telling the audience like this film is meant to engage your mind and make you come up with what you think this film should mean because everybody's going to bring their own personal life to a film their own baggage their own histories and if they can create the meaning of that film for themselves how much more personal is that going to be for you you know Mm -hmm. than if it's just like a regular old film which is fine but it's just just entertaining and it's simply hitting you over the head with with a final meaning that you may or may not agree with um and so that's that's the goal we just want people to start a conversation with other people um Mm -hmm. if we can do that we feel like we've succeeded in what we want to do um ludovic and i we met years ago um working as camera assistants on some really terrible low budget movie. <laughs> I was, it was I was his, B, it was a B rate horror movie film, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, it was like some terrible, I don't want to name the title because I actually remember the title and it, and I actually saw it on Showtime, I think like not that long ago, like six or seven years ago. And this was 10 years ago or so that we met, or maybe nine years ago. And, uh, anyway, it was, 
it was a terrible movie. But it's good to work on those too. I mean, you learn a lot from seeing mm-hmm. people make really bad mistakes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And we just worked together for a number of years. I he kind of came in and out of my life for a couple years because I was I had another guy that I was working with really consistently, and then we just fell into a partnership and started working on movie after movie after movie. I mean, we did. Blue Valentine, we did Place Beyond the Pines, we did Shame, we did Arbitrage. We were supposed to do 12 Years a Slave, but that ended up not working out. Um, but anyway, wow. we, we just have a great history together. Um, and the the level of shorthand that comes with all those years working together and understanding each other's personalities and like when to know when to back off, like if somebody's in a mood, you know, all of those things. It's just, it just makes for such a copacetic work environment now because Mm -hmm. we know each other so well, like that we rarely have moments where it's, where it's really tense. Just, it it just works really well. Um, And then uh, Nicole and I met on the set of um, this movie called Salt with Angelina Jolie. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was just day playing. She was day playing and, and we started chatting and I'm from Kansas and she's from Minneapolis. And we just knew that we had like this vibe. And I was like, are you Midwestern or something? Cause for some reason <laughs> I just feel like we really can talk to each other. And sure enough, she was from uh, Minnesota. So, um, we kind of clicked on that movie and then I told Ludovic about her. And when we did shame, she came on as our film loader. Oh, nice. So, and then, Gun was kind of our first endeavor as a group, um, and we shot that in the winter of 2011, December of 2011. Mm-hmm. And and they, you know, they immediately jumped on board, and and that was kind of the beginning of two, three, five. That's amazing. No, I mean, and and like yeah. you said, it's it's a, a testament to, uh, you know, again something I always notice in film, both as a huge film buff myself, and I even I didn't realize it in college. I ended up taking so many. Uh, film film critiquing classes. I, I could have made it a minor. And I was like one <laughs> class away from making it a minor. But it was just because I, I just love movies. And and the one thing I remember all the time, like you said, was how as I became a, a bigger photographer my, over the years and, and worked with bigger teams, I kind of saw the similar vibe of if if you are a director uh, and you have a certain set of people that you gel with and you just basically produce epic shit together, it's why not keep that kind of thing going? And, and you see with all the bigger name directors, you see the certain, the same certain kind of players behind the scenes, the same actors, and and it, it, they you know really, well, I can't say they, never, they can never do no wrong, but it it is one of those things that you sit there and say, you totally get it. And you said it, you said it, you go, the years we've known each other, and work on different things and really kind of grew together as, as artists and, and on the technical side as well, that you're able to have this amazing shorthand that it could set a partnership at that point was a no brainer, you know? And, and that's, that's really cool. And it's definitely, like you said, it's um, what's really neat as a creative to also say, these are the projects that we were all working on. Like how cool is this and this movie and this movie and this movie that are, you know, really well known. You know, and you sit there and say, yeah, we, we, we know our shit and we're going to and we get along well and we're going to team up and just make awesome stuff that we want to just see out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of that, you're, uh, you're as my last question and we're going to we're going to head into kind of a little little deeper questions. But we're heading about to an hour. So 
So we'll try and keep those to about a minute. But um, your latest kind of project that you're kind of working on a little bit is uh, it's called Constance. And it's based on your mother's time uh, working as a police officer. And I thought that was also, again, talking about topical, timely things. You know, how, how did that kind of come about for you? Well, I don't exactly remember which movie it was on, but I was working on a movie and like we all do as crew members, we're all shooting the shit about films we love or whatever over lunch or whenever we have a down moment. And I was telling somebody, and this was had nothing to do with, with me wanting to write a script at that point. We were just talking and, and somebody was sort of asking me where I was from and, and somehow it came up that my mom was a cop in my hometown in Kansas for about 10 years. And I explained kind of her personal story and, the person I was talking to was like, that's your movie, man. They were like, that, you should write a movie about that. That sounds really yeah. interesting. And I was like, wow, that's actually a, kind of a great idea. You know, because sometimes you don't realize certain things in your life are interesting to other people necessarily. Right. Um, right. That's kind of how it first came about. And then, and then, I, you know, then I came up with like something that it, it kind of went through a few different phases. The first draft, well, it was kind of the third draft, but the first kind of like, finished draft I used right after Sundance and I pitched it to the Sundance Screenwriters Lab um, and some other people that I had met, some literary agents and things like that that I met when I was at Sundance. And honestly, you know, it just, it didn't gain any traction. Um, And I had some people take the time to kind of give me some notes on it and I rewrote it. um, And it really wasn't, for whatever reason, I loved it. It was very you know, it was very important and special to me. Um, maybe it was too special. Maybe I was too close to it. Um, but it was something that I kind of, at this point, I've sort of put to the side. Uh, and I think it's something I will take up again someday, but I put it to the side because it, it just didn't, it didn't work at the time. And I felt like, okay, I have other ideas I'm going to pursue. I'm going to, I'm going to just pass on that for right now. So, I've actually been working on something more recently called The Tour, which I'm really excited about. It takes place in a dystopian future when there's no gas or running water or utilities. Um, And it follows this young woman named Tess who used to be an elite cyclist. Um, She was actually slated to be the first woman to compete in the Tour de France. Um, Oh, wow. And and then it's sort of that's where the film begins is that's the you know she's at the peak of civilization basically she's like racing in France and and um and you know she's a powerful person and she's very young she's only like 14 at the time and then we cut to 8 years later when there's been some sort of an economic collapse we don't exactly know how it happened um mm-hmm. and her mother is is struggling with pancreatic cancer and she essentially is her goal is to, to save her mother's life. And so to, to do that, she ends up sort of, and mind you, there's no medicine at this point that whole structure's collapsed. So she, she's just trying everything at this point and they're growing marijuana in the garden to try to like ease her pain. And, and she and her brother, um, and they basically, you know, they do everything you can think of. You'd have to do, you have to grow in your own food. You have to find water at a river nearby and and Mm -hmm. carry it home. I mean, it's, it's legitimately like about survival, um, but it's also about how blind faith can sort of cloud your judgment, and that comes into play when she um, 
she ends up kind of entering into this immoral contract with this faith healer to try to have him heal her mother. Um, so it's, it's interesting. And, and I think it's a really, I don't want to say fun, but I think it's a really, um, it's a powerful script, I think. And, and she's a really powerful character that I'm excited about. And I would lo- I can't wait to try to find the right person to play this role. Um, so that's something I'm excited about. And I'm also writing an adaptation of gun as a feature as well. So that's a new nice. that's a new thing that I'm trying to work on because I never had thought of that as a feature and and then a couple years ago little ideas started seeping in and I thought all right this is a good opportunity I should just write that so yeah so lots of, lots of different projects you know lots of ideas always swirling around and that's great and I, I you know you're you're to touch upon the point that you made about Constance about how um, you know you tried to shop it around and it just no it wasn't just like you said it wasn't just a good fit. You know, not necessarily bad or good. It just wasn't a good fit. And, you know, it forced you to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just kind of shelf it for a little bit. And and to me, that's something that I'm personally working on because, you know, I've had companies and other ideas that I thought were it, you know. And, and like you said, right. you, you were tied to it and it was very personal and very close to you. And then you, and then to see it's not happening in the time frame that you thought can be crushing, you know, but to be self-aware enough to go, you know what, I can always come back to it, you know, and, and, and it's not over. It's just not right now. And, and you were able to then say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put it in the back burner. And I think the biggest, the most important reason why, and is that you, you realized that if you force it, then sometimes like you regret it is you end up making something right. that isn't exactly what you envisioned all because you just want to see it happen at that moment. And, right. and then you end up being like, well, fuck, this is not at all the movie I wanted to make, you know, the right. film I wanted to make. And, and that's a lot worse, you know? And then you sit there and go, I'd rather just yeah. sit on it for however long. And if the, if the right time comes great, if it doesn't, again, it's not in the world, you know, it's still something I have written down and I can put away and, uh, and then, you know, kind of see if it come to life, you know, like if you like Deadpool, I mean, that movie was, you know, ten, lore of 10 years, you know, in, in yeah. Hollywood and all that kind of stuff coming about. And it was, it was greenlit, then it was dead, then it was greenlit, then it was dead. And then look what happened. You know, we have, a, we see a huge shift in like the whole comic book movie realm that all of a sudden it's turning very dark and all right. rate is possible. And it's really interesting stuff. But we could always talk about that for hours. But <laughs> so to kind of to kind of get again into into the uh, you know the the deep kind of questions. Um, I always these are always fun for a lot of people because you know you never know what people are going to say, and we we put them at the end for a very specific reason that I'm sure you as a as a writer can appreciate. Um, and and you know like we said, seeing how we're about an hour in already, um, if we can keep these about a minute or two. Uh, uh, to response. All right. Yeah, sure. All right. Let's get into it. So what's the biggest risk you've taken in your artistic career? I think the biggest risk I've taken, I would have to say directing my short sweep. I mean, that was, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I'm overstating it, but honestly mm-hmm. it was, it just, it was, it felt so scary to me to try to tackle an issue like that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I, I, I that was definitely the biggest 
for me, what I feel like was my biggest creative risk up to this point. Um, but I'm also thinking about creative risk only in the sense of my own personal work. So I only have two, two films to choose from really. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that was my biggest creative risk for sure. Nice. But it so worked out really me, well, man, because it resonated yeah. with people. I mean, there's and no like doubt. You said, I have for so sure. many great comments on that. For sure. And and like you said, it, it's, it's, I think for a lot of us, we can appreciate the fact that when we do anything really as a creative, it's the ones that really kind of are like a gut check where you sit there and go like, fuck, can I really do this justice? Should I really do this? And, and you yeah. overthink it and you overanalyze it and end up working out the best, you know? Well, and then when you got it, I mean, then when the film does well, you realize, oh shit, I got to get up on stage at Q and A's and talk about this movie. I mean, that <laughs> is honestly, and both of my films deal with topics that are controversial to some degree, and mm-hmm. and it's so hard, man. This film was <laughs> particularly hard to talk about yeah. on stage. It was really, really hard. But you know, I found what was interesting about this one compared to my last one. My gun, everybody wanted to talk about like at the Q&A, but Sweep, man, people were so terrified of bringing it up in, in mm-hmm. like a group setting. That, But I always had lots of people talk to me afterwards, you know, just like mm-hmm. on a one-on-one basis, people felt really comfortable and they always would come up and say, oh man, like that was so messed up what that guy did at the end. And But it really resonated with me. It felt like so true to life and, you know, lots of stuff like that. So no, it was, it definitely was worth it for sure. Nice, nice. So name your biggest fear creatively. Um, I don't think my biggest fear is probably that unusual for a creative. I think it's just totally that fear of just completely missing the mark on something. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's like trying to, you know, if you miss the mark on the theme that you're trying to drive home and you just muddle it up so bad that nobody figures can figure out what the hell you're trying to say or what your film's mm-hmm. about or right. um or just something, you know, even from a from a uh execution point, from a directing point, just like doing something that later when you're in editing you're like, "Oh, I messed that up so bad. Why did I make that decision?" <laughs> um just things like that. I mean, that's always your biggest fear that you're just going to completely fail. And here you are, you've built it up and everybody knows you're making a new film because of social media and, and, you know, <laughs> I did, I did Kickstarter campaigns for both of my, both of my films, but, oh, okay. um, I, I actually self-funded the shooting side of it. And then I did a Kickstarter to raise money for all the post-production and festival run and all that kind of stuff. So, so again, there's a lot of pressure that goes with that because you cut yeah. a trailer, I cut a trailer of the film and then I pitch it and I'd say here's all the amazing people that were involved and and then and then you're like sitting and waiting thinking god what if we get into no festivals and this film just drops and nobody wants to watch it like that's terrifying you know it's such yeah. a scary cuz you really you put yourself out there and and you hope to god that you know it works out but but uh but yeah that's my biggest fear but I don't think I'm alone in that I'm pretty sure that's no. that's a common thing amongst uh, creative people Oh yeah oh yeah like you said it's it's is is what I just poured and especially when you work on those kind of things where you involve a team that was my big thing it was like all the time like I, I shot something and I go does this fucking suck like what does it sucks and no magazine <laughs> picks it up and no one wants it and I just wasted not only my time but everyone else's time that right. I that right. I sold into this vision 
So yeah, exactly. I think, right. I think that's like the the fear that just gets your ass in gear, and you're like, oh man, like I gotta make yeah. it work. You know? Yeah, you so, don't want to let people down, man. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, name your most meaningful moment in your career thus far. From a directing standpoint, definitely making my first short. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if it hadn't gone to Sundance and all of that, I, I mean, I think that was obviously that makes it even that much more exciting and special. But really, just the actual act of making the decision to make the short is the mm-hmm. most important moment of my career because up to that point, um, you know, I moved to New York in 2006 and we made the film in 2011. So I've been working in the industry for six years and or five years and and uh, it was about six by the time we finished the film. So I could have easily just kept on working away because the one thing about the film industry is the hours are long and if you want to work all the time, you probably can. And uh, and I could have just kept on working and getting experience and saying, I'm not ready yet or I don't have time right now or Mm-hmm. But I finally got my ass in gear and just said, you know what, I'm going to mm-hmm. make this film. Mm-hmm. And and films are one of those things. That it just and a lot, I'm sure a lot of creative projects are like this. But it just always feel and feels like it's in danger of completely just falling apart because you know you're between your locations that you have to try to get somebody to sign on and give you a location and and your actors availability and your crew's availability. I mean, it's just not to mention the money that it costs. It just always feels like it's just not going to work. Um, yeah. So when it does, it's a really special thing, and it feels awesome. Even when you're shooting, sometimes it feels like it could fall apart at any moment. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm just glad that I just worked through that pressure of feeling like it wasn't going to work or I couldn't do it. Because there was a moment, I specifically remember a moment when I thought, am I in too deep right now? Am, am I just mm-hmm. like, it's just, just a bad idea that nobody's going to care about and nobody's going to want to help me with. Right. Uh, thank God I didn't give in to that. And I said, you know what? Yeah. Hell with it. I got to try it. If I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And right. I think a big motivator for me was that I was, my wife was at the time six months pregnant with our first child. Oh, and wow. there's something about knowing you're about to be a parent that really, <laughs> if there's not anything that will get you in gear, that is one of them. And, yeah, uh, and, it, sure. and it did. And, and actually, my second short sweep was right before my second child was born. So I've oh, somehow that. that's become the pattern. So maybe I need to have another kid and I'll make another yeah. movie. Yeah. You're like, like, I feel like I'm stuck. Baby, let's go to the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if my wife would, uh, would agree that having another baby to make a movie is a good idea. But. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, you can really start naming the kids after the films, you know, this is, this is G this is, you know, this is uh, S. You know, well, you know, it's funny. In my in my first film, there's actually a baby crying on a baby monitor. Which, when we shot the film, we did. Somebody just blew into it to make the light, you know, go mm-hmm. up and down on the monitor. Um, but once we were in post production, I actually recorded my son crying, and that's what we used. Sweet. You know, because you know, an infant child wakes up crying all the time. So it was not that yeah. hard to find a moment to just flip on a recorder and just and just tape like thirty seconds of it. And we and we use that in the film. So it's so kind of a does he have thing. does he have his own IMDb page already? No, I've kept him <laughs> off IMDb. He get he got a special thanks in the credits. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, name the biggest regret in your career. Biggest regret. 
You know, I, I have to say, and this kind of goes back to something you were talking about when we were talking about the building blocks of your career. I don't really feel there's nothing that I can even think of as a regret. I mean, sure, have I made mistakes? Totally. Have I totally screwed up and made an ass of myself? Completely. But I don't regret it, man, because yeah. it's it's part of it shapes who you who you are as a filmmaker, as a person, as a camera operator for me, or whatever you know craft you're in. Um, I don't feel any real regrets for anything. I, I would, the only thing I could point to is that I didn't take advantage of the free equipment in film school enough to like make films. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I made like a couple little shorts that really I can't even point to as anything that I'm proud of at this point. But it was still good to do them. But right. you know, it's incredible how much how many resources you have at your fingertips when you're in school. And I just didn't utilize it as much as I should have. So that would be my one regret. I think is not taking advantage of that. Because once you get out of school, it's so much harder to make a film and put together a crew and a cast and you know get the equipment and insurance. I mean, there's so much more to it that I didn't realize. But, um, but no, man, I mean, every little step of the way, and I started out just, I, when I first moved to New York, I didn't have any contacts. I was finding jobs on Craigslist as like, you know, production assistant on a short film. I mean, that's what I did. And then, you know, I I met one guy who was a DP professionally and he got me in with a company and I started working as a camera utility and I did that for like seven or eight months. And then I got a chance to work on a feature because of that, a person I met through that. And it was all just a slow building, you know, you just like stick to it kind of a thing. And, um, but I'm so glad I did it that way. And then I did jobs that were terrible and, you know, I was a third electric on this this low budget movie, and that was like such a hard job. I have so much respect for electrics because of the heavy cables and stuff that these guys pull, and it's raining, and you'd literally just sit outside and just man a light, and you wait for the the gaffer to like radio, like okay, pan that light fifteen degrees, lamp right, and I mean it's it's hard because you're not involved in the process in the same way you are yeah. as like a camera assistant, even it's it's just different and to be able yeah. to say it's worth spending 14 hours a day doing it for me that was just not my i couldn't do it you know i just could not right. imagine that path um but there are people that do it and they dig it and and i'm sure that those are hard moments but you know that's their thing and so i don't regret any of those things cuz i learned a lot and now that i'm doing what i'm doing especially when you direct you know, you have such a level of respect because you've done that stuff. You've Mm -hmm. been there, or Mm -hmm. at least you understand what that job is. If you haven't done it, you have an understanding of what they do. And that's so important for a director to know, um, to know those jobs uh, to some degree, because you, first of all, you respect what they do a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and secondly, like when things take time on set, you're not freaking out. You understand, like, you understand lighting takes time or setting a flag takes mm-hmm. a second. Like it's not, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of directors that they don't, they're not, they don't come from a crew background necessarily and they are not that comfortable on set. And when there's a technical issue, it's frustrating to them because they don't know what's happening exactly. And so right. they just sort right. of, the end result is that they get upset, you know, because they don't, right. they, they feel like the crew's wasting the time, but that's not usually what the case is. So. Right, for sure. Yeah. No, and like you said, it, it makes you a better, a a better leader. 
right? To say like, hey man, I've done that job. I've done that job where you literally touch shit with your hands for 14 hours a day. <laughs> like, I've done it. So it's like me asking you or bringing you on or at least at the, like you said, at the very least, like respecting what I'm asking of you and saying like, I know it's not easy. You know, thank you. You know, like just like in a, in a, in a very appreciative, like grateful kind of way in saying like, without you, this movie couldn't be what it is. So like, thank you for, for, for you know, for, for doing it. And I'm, if you ever need help or if you ever tell me, you know, and like you said, if, you, if you're able to even have that kind of dialogue where you sit there and even say, Hey, look, is there any way I can, what's your career path going to look like for you? You know, and, and yeah. you can mentor someone who is doing the same exact thing you were doing just 10 years ago, you know? So it's really neat that way. Um, yeah. So time for the meta one. If you couldn't share your work with anyone, not your wife, not your kids, no one, would you still create things? I, I believe I would create things. I don't think I would create films probably only because they're so expensive <laughs> that it doesn't, it wouldn't make any practical sense. It would just be like, wow, that was a huge waste of money. But, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, maybe you could make personal films. I mean, listen, you could shoot something on your iPhone and edit it on your laptop. So that's filmmaking. So, I yeah. mean, I definitely would make something and I can't imagine not doing something re- like involving film because mm-hmm. it's honestly at this point after studying it for a few years and 10 years of working in the business, I mean, it, it, it is a part of my identity. I mean, I, I would really feel lost without it because it's, yeah. it's something that I love with so much passion that sometimes I think it's hard even for people that love me to understand how much it means to me. Um, right. But it's it's something that that yeah I, I can't imagine living my life without it. But but that there's also part of that I think has to do with wanting to tell a story or like share share some kind of thing that I think is meaningful with other people. So it would be hard mm-hmm. to do it alone. I think it's important for me personally. Right. Um, I'm not just the type of artist I think that wants to just sit in a room and just do it by myself for myself. It's important for me to create a conversation with someone about something. Um, and I mean, maybe a lot of it has to boil down to like the society we live in now and the kind of mm-hmm. gr- like upbringing I had where, like I said, you're bored out of your mind. A lot of the time that you have is just spent talking to other people and mm-hmm. relating to other people. And, and, and in a way, I kind of somewhat feel like we're starving ourselves of that right now because a lot of our interactions are so mediated by other things, mm. um, especially like a social net, you know, and there's a lot of great things about social media, but sometimes I feel like I just am starved for just like a face to face old mm-hmm. school, you know, conversation about yeah. something with real substance, you know? Um, and, and, and I love that yeah. about making films yeah. and about watching sure. films and consuming films is that that's a starting point for that, you know? So, yeah. um, I can't imagine life without it. Oh, that's great. Well, listen, Spencer, thank you for taking out the time to speak with us today. Uh, how quickly an hour goes by, right? Um, so tell us where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? I have a personal website, which is just my name. Uh, spencergillis.com um, that pretty much has most everything you need to know um, you can watch my short film sweep on the website uh, you can also check it out on shortoftheweek.com and also Vimeo staff picks and then my first film gun is available on iTunes if you just 
Type in gun short film. You can find that on iTunes. It's like a buck 99 or something like that. Um, And then my company, 235, is if you just spell out the the numbers, 235.nyc. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? Oh, that's a hard question. There's so many yeah. people. Um, <laughs> exactly. And we always tell people like if 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 you want to name drop like two like one or two people, that's fine. If you have tons more, please like let's continue the conversation, you know, through email and that kind of stuff because we we always love to uh find new people to talk with too. Well, I'll give you two names, one of which <laughs> I can definitely make happen for you because <laughs> I know him, but the other <laughs> one is somebody that I don't know, but I'm like was blown away by his work. So, and he might okay. be really hard to reach. So, hey, no worries. We'll is, take some um, I'll give you the easy one first. Yeah. Uh, his name's Austin Bunn. He's a writer. Um, he actually co-wrote that. I don't even remember his film, Kill Your Darlings, that was at Sundance in 2013. Mm-hmm. He co-wrote that film. He's a writer. He went to Iowa Writers Workshop. He's a great writer. He just published a book of short stories. Anyway, he and I um, collaborated. He directed a documentary short that I produced and shot um, called In the Hollow that I'm extremely proud of and was so happy to be part of. Um, and it and it traveled the, uh, the LGBT festival circuit and did amazing. Oh, um, nice. And I think we're going to release it soon on online. It, it hasn't happened yet, but it, I mm-hmm. think we might have a couple avenues we're considering. Um, so I'm hoping in the next few months that's going to be available. Um, and it's a really powerful story. And Austin is just an incredible person and really – uh, he would be such a fun guy to talk to, I think. Cool. All right, um, definitely. And so then who, another the person, who's the hard the one is a, is a Russian guy that I don't even oh, know. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to reach him. Um, his name is Konstantin Bronzit. I can email it to you. Um, yeah. He made, he made, a nom- he made a, an animated short called We Can't Live Without Cosmos that I saw at Aspen Shorts Fest um, 2015 when I went there with Sweep. Um, it went on to actually it went on to get nominated for an Oscar for best animated short film. Wow! Um, yeah, and it was like featured on the New Yorker's uh, screening room website. I mean, it's 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 an amazing short, and it it's not like it's not flashy. So it t- you know it's it's one of these things that it it kind of unfolds over the course of whatever it is fifteen minutes, but it's so well done. And I and I rarely am blown away by anything, but mm. this one was like, wow, that's that's an amazing film. So I would awesome. love to hear to check it from out. Him. Yeah. yeah. So all right, great. Well listen, Spencer, thank you again for taking the time out. I had a great time chatting with you and just kind of like you said, bullshit about movies and film and all that kind of stuff. And and uh so hopefully we'll keep in touch and talk again soon. That'd be great. Thank you so much, man. This has been a, an amazing opportunity. Awesome. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right. Take All right, care. man. Bye-bye.